All right, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Doing good? Awesome. Hey, well, thank you all so much for joining us on this three-day weekend. And this, anytime there's a three-day weekend, you're always going to have a youth pastor Saturday or Sunday, sorry. So just to let you all know that typically what this is, no, that's not it, but I, I'm just joking with you all. But I do appreciate the opportunity to just share my heart in this passage as we carry on with the presence um, of God and being in the presence of God, walking in him. And let me tell you, this, this whole series has just wrecked me when we're talking about being in the presence of God. In many situations, I try to find how I can relate um, to r- relate to the Philistines and relate to the Israelites in that sense, and it just breaks me down. And when I'm thinking about it too, what I always try to do is I always try to, whatever mode I'm in or whatever, whatever music I'm listening to, whatever I'm watching, I try to relate it to a passage that I'm either going to be preaching or that I'm reading in my quiet time too. And so the title of this series, um, or the title, not title of the series, but the title of this message is called If It Isn't Love. And one of the reasons why is because I've been jamming to New Edition for the past three weeks because I just saw the, the, saw the documentary on, um, on Hulu. Or not the documentary, but it was like a movie, the three-part movie on Hulu. And if you don't know who New Edition is, let me just tell you. They are like the... So think of One Direction, but back in the day, and they just had it rap. They just added like rap and hip-hop to their, to their uh, R&B session. It gave birth to a lot of R&B groups like Belle Biv DeVoe, uh, it also Ralph Tresvant, um, Johnny Gill, um, all of those, all of those kind of came from them, and they were like the pioneers of R and B back in the day. Um, so, just to let you know, that's what this is called. Because as I was looking at this, as I was looking and thinking of um, just last week when Justin was talking about Dagon and how the Philistines, what they did, he he talked about putting up your idols to Christ are putting up your idols to God. And what they did is they had Dagon, who had a fish head, and he had, um, it was basically just a statue. And when they captured the Ark of the Covenant, what they did is they put it right there up in front as if it was to worship Dagon. And so I'm reading this, and I'm also reading in, in, in 1 Samuel 5 and 6, and I'm like, man, this is, this is Ricky, Bobby, Johnny, Mike. This is everybody in New Edition on the New Edition story. And I'm going to tell you all this because what happened was that there was an action that took place in their lives. Well, there's an action that takes place in the Philistines' lives. And then after that action, what happens is they start appeasing the fans. They start appeasing their management. And then there's no results that comes out of that. And then they start being held accountable to that with everything that they've done. Now, some of us would say that's just any kind of music industry or maybe music artist that is out there right now. Well, yeah, absolutely. But... I thought specifically for this one, and I'm going to kind of, if I could, I'm going to kind of just talk to you a little bit about that, because as we recap in 1 Samuel 5, one of the things that was happening is that the statue was held up, and they they brought, like I said, they brought the Ark of the Covenant there, and when they brought the Ark of the Covenant there, the statue fell down, and of course, they start talking, and they're like, wait a minute, what's going on? I don't know what's happening because remember we said Bob, that was, the, that was the, 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 the name of the people back then. Bob was a common name. In fact, it wasn't. It was, he was joking. Um, but, but so Bob looks at the other, the other guy and they're like, what's happening? So they put him up. And then what happened? And then next thing you know, they, they go to sleep. They go down again. And then he's, he, this time he's down in front of the ark and his hands are severed and his arms are severed from the body. 
And when I thought about this, I thought about God's witness. Because this was a specific time when God was specifically putting his witness down to help them understand something. And so if we can, let's open up to Luke 19.37. We're going to be back. So if you can, just, just open up to Luke 19.37-40. We're going to be back in um, 1 Samuel, though. But I want y'all to, I want, I want y'all to hear something. Because what was happening, is, it says this is back when Jesus, this is, this is New Testament here, this is when Jesus is walking into the cathedrals, and it says, as he was drawing near, already on the way down to Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples basically the pharisees were basically saying rebuke don't say anything they you need to tell them to be quiet because we don't even know if you're the one true god and then what jesus does is he answers them he bucks up to him he answers them and he says for those of y'all who don't know buck up means he's like showing them up he's like hey look this ain't happening so um he answers he says i tell you if these were silent the very stones would cry out the very stones would cry out when that Dagon, that God they made out of what? Stone. That, that God right there was crying out to God saying, I am not it. Look, Philistines, y'all got it all wrong. I am not it. And things like that were happening within six to seven months. And we're going to go in that when we look at 1 Samuel 6, 1 through 4. But that's what was going on is the rocks, the stones were crying out to God at that point in time. And they didn't understand it. Well, when I was thinking about that, I was thinking about New Edition. Let, let me explain. Let me explain. Because there's this song that New Edition has that was one of their top hits. And I'm sitting here thinking about the Philistines as they're walking in, seeing all this going on. They're probably thinking, they're probably confused. And there's a song in that new edition, it's very confusing for them, for their feelings about this one girl. And they're saying, if it isn't love, why does it hurt so bad? Make me feel so sad inside. Those are the moves. My two-year-old knows those moves, okay? Uh, and so what I'm thinking is these Philistines are probably sitting here going, if it isn't God, why does this? Because it's true. Because, you see, they're not only dealing with these, these, these stones that are worshiping God, but they're also dealing with mice and they're dealing with tumors as well that are taking over their crop. And if the fish head on the stone, on the stone, um, stone God that they built up, if that doesn't tell you that they are agriculturally sufficient and that they depend on agriculture in order for that to happen, which was awesome because this is how God loves us and this is how God speaks to us. He spoke to them directly to agriculture as the rocks were crying out. And he does it again later on. And I'm going to talk to you about this here in 1 Samuel 6. So if we can, let's open up to 1 Samuel 6, 1 through 4. This is basically the process. What they are doing is they're going through the processes as we lift things up and God tears them down. There's a process that comes into play where we are to understand who he is. And today I'm going to discuss with you the process of letting those things fall when given glory and honor to worship to one God, only one God. 
Let's read here in, in, the, in the word. The ark of the Lord was, was in the country of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called the priests and diviners and said, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us with the ark of the, with the, ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty. He, they said, If you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty. Sorry about that. But by all means, return him, return him a guilt offering. Then you will be healed, and it will be known to you by his hand does not turn away from you. And they said, what is the guilt offering that we shall return to him? They answered, five golden tumors and five golden mice. According to the number of the lords of the Philistines, for the same plague was on all of you and on your lords. And just like, just like Justin was talking about last week, he talks about the specifics of the mice and the, um, the tumors that were on their bodies and then the mice that were kind of infiltrating their crops. And when you see this, this brings up my first point, is that as they're going to the diviners, as they're going to the priests, it's sometimes when God gets our attention, we seek the advice of the experts and not the anointed. Sometimes when God gets our attention, we seek the advice of the experts as opposed to seeking the advice of the anointed. And what that looks like is that basically looks like us seeing or trying to find, like, reason for this. And so instead of going to God in prayer, what we do is we go to experts so they can try to figure this out. And so when there is judgment or when there is responsibility that we need to uphold, we'd rather go to experts so they can tell us how to live. So they can tell us what to do. So they can tell us how we need, what we need to do in order, for this to, in order for this to happen. When in all actuality, all they needed to do was confess. The Philistines just needed to confess that there is one God. And you see the priests and everybody give them instructions. And when I thought about this, one of the things I thought about is, you know, in growing up in a, growing up in a Latino culture or Latin culture, there's certain things, there's certain superstitions that, that take place. And I'm finding out that more of these superstitions were just, they just take place in every single culture. It didn't matter. In one culture, that would, one, one thing that I'm going to talk to you about is something called, something called ojo. If you don't know what ojo is, um, what ojo is, is it's basically like the evil eye. That's what something, this is something that I grew up with. My, my great-grandmother used to say, hey, if you ever look at a baby and you smile, you need to touch it because if not, he's going to be sick, Right? And so that was, that was a superstition that we would believe growing up. And, and, then, and then if we did do that, what we had to do is there had to be like an egg. There had to be a prayer that was prayed and everything else. But I, I was looking back at this, at this like superstition and what it means is it's basically, it's basically an um, ideology of coveting. Like when you see something and you're coveting something, it's just basically that. And so there was other things um, what, that, I, that I grew up with. And it was always like, man, if I walk into a room and I see a purse on the floor, I get nervous. And that was a superstition, purse on the floor, money out the door. Have you anyone ever heard that one before? Raise your hand. Yeah, absolutely. Purse on the floor, money out, of, money out the door. And that was just a superstition that came to be because when your purse is on the floor, you leave it open. People can see how much money you have. They grab it and leave, right? Very easy. So when I heard that one, I was like, oh, man, that's something. And then there was another one that my parents used to, um, this is cross-cultural as well, um, that my parents used to use, and it was something called the kokoi. If you didn't know the, who the kokoi was or what the kokoi was, it was basically the boogeyman. He basically would, you know, would come out when you weren't being good. 
And so that's what would happen. And some of my Latinos know exactly what I'm talking about, right? And then there's the other one that someone was telling me you need to put in there, but I was like, no, I'm not going to put it in there because this is a very true superstition, and it's called La Chancla. And if you don't know what La Chancla is, that is just a very, 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 just a, a good translation would be the, the sandal or the flip-flop. But see, La Chancla was a lot different. La Chancla was, was, was basically how they would, how my parents would discipline and my great-grandparents would definitely discipline. And I'm talking about straight up chancla flip-flop to hand like motion like this, just straight up when we would be in trouble or do something. And so flip-flop was just a happy way of saying la chancla, but we would do that. But in looking at all this, that was a very, like I said, that was a very true disciplinary action. It was not a superstition at all. Both me and my brothers have, have, uh, have experienced la chancla. So um, in my kids, I would hate to say, have probably experienced la chancla as well. Um, and that's the thing is that they don't even know what la chancla means. But when we, when we say we're going to get the chancla, they're like, oh, my gosh, I don't know what's going on. Um, so, but in looking at that and looking at all these superstitions, there's things that have to take place in order for you to really kind of, kind of have an appeasement of something. You see, what you have to do this in order, for, in order for God to forgive you. You have to do this in order for that to happen. And you know, this was Old Testament. So yes, there was a process that was in place. And the priest did give you direction as to what to do and how to do. And you know what the coolest thing about now is? That Jesus Christ has saved us for our sins. So we don't have to do any of that anymore. We don't have to do any of that. All we have to do is accept him, abide in him, walk in him. So that way he can give us direction on how to live our life. But you see, in this case, when the Philistines are are going up, they're trying to figure out, okay, what to do. Because they've been dealing with this for about six to seven months and they're not liking it. They're not liking walking around feeling confused because we know that God is not the God of confusion. He directs our steps. He walks with us. And when we're looking at, when we're looking at this, it's almost like the Philistines are, are just trying to figure out, okay, we don't like all this stuff happening right now, so we need to do something about it. And then the diviners and the, and the priests, they give them certain instructions. And I like how God kind of takes these instructions and he's looking at the Philistines and he's saying, I love you guys so much. Even though the Israelites were the, were the chosen village and the chosen people, he's looking at the Philistines saying, I love you so much. Those are the chosen people. And they were, they were looking to, to themselves more than they were looking to me, which is why you have the ark now. But he's saying, I love you so much. And he's speaking to them. But all they were concerned about at that point in time was appeasing him. And so it brings, brings me to my next point where we say appeasement comes from being spiritually ignorant. Appeasement comes from being spiritually ignorant. You see, as we look in 1 Samuel 6, 4 through 12, I'm going to read through it real quick, but I want to let you know that they were focused on appeasing God and not abiding in him. All they wanted to do was appease the God of Israel. And you'll see that that's, where, that's what the priests kind of call them. So let's read, let's read um, 1 Samuel 6, 4 through 12. And they said, What is the guilt offering that they shall return to him? They answered, Five golden tumors, five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines. For the same plague was on all of you and your lords. 
you must make images of the tumors and images of the mice that ravage the land and give glory to God, to the God of Israel. Notice, they say the God of Israel. This means that those priests and those diviners, what they're looking at is they're saying, hey, the God of Israel. So they're not really necessarily believing in God. They're just saying the God of Israel. And then there's other things that they talk about as well. So carrying on here to um, in the middle of verse or yeah, in the middle of verse five, perhaps he will lighten his hand. Perhaps maybe he will lighten his hand. That's what they're saying. Not really, but maybe he'll lighten his hand for, off of you and your gods and your land. Why should, why should you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? After he had dealt severely with them, did they not send the people away and they departed? Now then, take and prepare a new cart and two milk cows on which there has never come a yoke, and yoke the cows to the cart. But take their calves home away from them, and take the ark of the Lord and place it on the cart and put it on the box. Put it in a box at at its side to the figures of gold, which you are returning to him as, guilt, as a guilt offering. Then send it off and let it go its way and watch. If it goes up on the way to its own land, to Bethshemesh, then it is he who has done us this great harm. But if not, then we shall know that it is not his hands that struck us. It happened to us by coincidence. The men did so and took two milk calves and yoked them to the, to the cart and shut up their calves at home. And they put the ark of the Lord on the cart and box with the golden mice and the images of their tumors. And the cows went straight into the direction of Bethshemesh along one highway, lowing as they went. They turned neither to the right nor the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. Man, that's a lot of instruction. That's why I am so thankful that I can follow my God. I can talk to my God whenever I want to. Because you see, the simple fact that when they're doing this, they're appeasing God. And some of us right now, We're doing the same exact thing. We are appeasing God, or we feel like we're appeasing God, which means that we are sitting here checking off boxes to make sure that we are appeasing God. We're going to make sure we're here on Sunday. We're going to make sure we're here on Wednesday. We're going to make sure that we say our prayers. We're going to make sure that we do all of this. And we're going to fill out the template of a Christian, of our template of Christianity, in order for us to abide or not necessarily abide, but appease. And we cannot, and see, and if we have accepted Christ and we know it's true and we're following in him, we cannot be spiritually ignorant. We have to understand what it's like. And we have to walk in light of everything else. And just and, and I'm gonna tell y'all right now, family, and, and y'all are my family, and I can be nice and I can be nice with you, but I can also tell it like it is. And you know what? In the same instance, this is something that I also went through as well. Is that just because I'm checking off those boxes, just because I'm doing all of this, it doesn't mean I'm in good soil. Just because we're in a great place of worship, you cannot assume that you are on good soil. And this is, a, this is coming from a book that I'm reading right now called Crazy Love by Francis Chan. 
crazy book that will wreck you. I went through the first four chapters. I had to start back over because it's just that. It's just that, that there's just so much truth in that. And you see, when we're talking about good soil, it makes me think of the sower, the parable of the sower in Luke 8. And I'm going to read that to you. I'm going to read that to you right now. Um, and this is when Jesus was talking um, to these, he was talking to a crowd of people and he spoke in a parable so that way they can understand it. And once again, he spoke using agriculture as a means to help them understand where he was coming from. And let's, let's read that here. It says, and when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in the parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path that were trampled underfoot. And as he and as, he, and, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock as it grew up. It withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up, grew up with it and choked it out. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And, and as he said these things, he called out, he who, has ears, let, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. As we, when I'm saying that just because we're in a good place of worship doesn't mean we're on good soil, what I'm talking about is that just because we're in a place of worship doesn't mean that we are truly worshiping the one true God. Some of us are here right now, and all we want to do is just get a feel-good message. And we want to sit down, and what we want to do is say, okay, how can I be served? How can the church serve me? And that isn't what needs to happen. What needs to happen is that we need to be like the seeds that are in good soil and look for the light. We need to look for the light in where he is in, in, in the world and where he is in, in, in here. And for some of us, that means that we may need to take a step and join a life group. For some of us, that means that we may need to seek accountability. For some of us, that means that we need to just confess that he is the Lord of our life and he is the one true Lord of our life. And we are not going to put any idols up against him. Because we know already with Dagon what has happened from that. And we see what the Philistines are going through as they're doing that. And you see, the only reason they're going through that is because they choose not to worship the one true God. And some of us are choosing not to worship the one true God. Some of us are leading our families knowing that we are not worshiping the one true God. But we need to understand that there is a God who loves us. There is a God who, yes, he was, he, you know, at that point in time, he was not walking, walking the earth, but he was showing people how much he loved them. The Philistines, he showed how much he loved them. He was, he was witnessing to them that entire time. And let me just tell y'all right now that if you see, like I said, they're, they're, a, they're, a, they're a village are a people group who are very much, much well briefed in or they know exactly about agriculture. As a matter of fact, they made some of the tools that allow us to farm today. They were like the very first John Deere is what it was. That's who the Philistines were, right? And so if we can't relate to that here being in Tennessee, I don't know what we can't relate to, okay? All right? And 
I want y'all to understand a few things is that when I'm when here, when we look in first Samuel, going back to first Samuel six, if we're looking here in 10. What specifics that were going on, the men did so they took two milk cows. They yoked them. And once again, these cows have never been yoked. They shut them in a cart and they took their calves away. They took their offspring away. They were milking cows, which means that those offspring needed them. And I don't know if you know anything about cows, and this is something I just found out this week, actually, um, is that when cows are, are milking, they need to be milked. If they're not milked, they go crazy. They go absolutely crazy. And they put the ark of the Lord on, and they put the ark of the Lord on the cart and box with the golden mice and the images. So they did all of this, and look what the cows do. And the cows went straight into the direction of Beth Shemesh along one highway, lowing as they went. They turned neither to the right nor to the left, and the lords of the Philistines went after them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. God's witness was specifically through exactly the agriculture that they were raised in. He loved them so much that he decided to speak to them. Even though the priest gave them all these instructions on what to do and everything like that, I can just imagine that God was sitting there going, they don't know what they're talking about, but I love you so much, I'm going to show you. You're probably looking at this saying this ain't going to happen because we know exactly what happens when you take calves, when you take boys away from their mama, basically. And those cows just went. And the Philistines, I can just imagine them going, if it isn't God, how to, exactly, like going, whoa, what's going on? Like, this is, this is true stuff. Like, this is real stuff. I didn't think this was going to happen right now. But here we are, chasing after some cows that I don't know why they're moving or how they're moving in any, in any way, shape, or form, but they're going to the land that we need to go to. And they stopped right at Beth Shemesh. And you see, what was going on was that they took, the Philistines took witness to an intentional process that we can't fake, and we can't, and, and we can't fake at all when we're held accountable to that. Which brings me up to my next point. And that you see, biblical accountability, it's not superficial. It's, in fact, intentional. We cannot appease God. We can't just sit there and say, I'm going to do all of this. What we have to do is we have to be held accountable to him. And the Philistines, they took, they, took this, they took witness of this intentional process and they decided to go ahead and follow those cows. And that's what I'm saying is that we can't be fake when we're held accountable. And going into the next part of the verse here, um, we're going into uh, 13. It says, now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. And when they lifted up the eyes and saw the ark, they rejoiced to see it. The cart came into the field of Joshua of Beshemesh and stopped there. A great stone was there, and they split up the wood of the cart and offered the cows as burnt offerings to the Lord. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and, to the, and the box that was beside it. And you see, this is where the Philistines are going, Oh, it's the Levites that have to do this. It's the Levites that have to take down the ark. It's the Levites that can touch it. 
And, and once again, this is the intentional process that they have to understand. In which the golden figures set them upon the great stone, and the men of Bethshemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrifice, sacrifices on the, day, on the day of the Lord. And when the five lords of the Philistines saw it, they returned that day to Ekron. The Philistines who saw this intentional process decided to return to Ekron. And any time they go back to their village, they're going to bring something back. This is how much God loved them once again. You know, it wasn't a fact that they were trying to escape and they were like, look, man, we know what to do now. We know how to take care of our place. We're going to go ahead and stay here. No. They decided to go. So as opposed to appeasing themselves or maybe even appeasing God saying, we're going to stay here with the Israelites because we just need to be appeased in this along with the Israelites who are God's chosen people. And they know exactly how to party. They know how to do things uh, the right way. And what they did was they said, no, 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 no. You are going to go back to Ekron because you need to talk to your people and tell them that this, that He is the one true God, and we need to start worshiping like that. Let's not think about anything else. And that's what we need to do as well, family. We need to worship God like he is, like there is nothing else. Amen. That's a cry of worship. We need to, we need to cry out to Jesus We need to cry out to God and we need to ultimately know that we are accountable to him and we are not going to appease him. We're not going to sit here and ask what can he do for me all the time without serving his people, without talking to his people, without showing his people an intentional process just like like the Israelites showed the Philistines. We have to do that. Because otherwise, if we're sitting down and we're saying, what can be provided to me? I mean, all we're doing is pimping out the church. And I'm sorry for my terminology in that. That's all we're doing. And what we need to do is we need to show everyone the love of God, the intentional process of discipleship, and what we do as people who love God. But we also cannot be spiritually arrogant. It's one thing to be spiritually ignorant, but we cannot be spiritually arrogant. And that's exactly what happened. You see, when they brought back the Ark of the Covenant, they brought that back there and they set it there so that way people can see it and people can worship as they worshiped. There were still some people that were back in uh, Phineas and Phineas and Ferb or whatever they were called. Um, no, back when Phineas was being worshiped and when Phineas, uh, they wanted to be worshiped. That's what they wanted. There were still people back there that still were spiritually arrogant about the whole situation. And they said, you know what? All right, Ark of the Lord is back. I'm just going to go back and do what I do. And then bam, they die. Bam, they die. Why? Because there was an intentional process they did not follow. They did not ask for forgiveness when it came down to them losing the Ark of the Covenant. What they did was they said, you know what? I'm good, so I'm going to go ahead and just worship the way I used to, but that's not the case. You see, when God changes our lives, we are not the same person we were before. We are not the same person that we need to be. When he changes our lives, when he comes into our heart, when he walks 
with us and when we choose to walk with him. Things change. Things happen. We are no longer sitting down saying, how can the church serve me? We are now saying, I am going to walk with people of the church, hurting people in the church, people who are, people who are losing things in the church, loved ones who are being lost in the church. I am going to walk with them. I am going to pray for them. I'm not going to sit there and just put a hand over their shoulder and say, oh, let's just pray and then you be silent. No, you are physically, you are physically literally going to walk with them in prayer and talk with them. So that way you can walk with them just as brothers and sisters of Christ do. That is modernized, that is talked about in Acts 2.42. We are to walk with each other. We are to encourage each other. We are to befriend each other. So that way we know what's going on. And we show you the love of Christ like no one else. And in 19, we see that he struck some of the men of Bethlehem because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. He struck 70 men of them, and the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. And the men of Bethlehem said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? And whom shall he go up away from us? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants. And when I'm seeing this, that's when we know that there has to be change. If we have things on our heart, if we have things in our mind that are not of God, we can't just keep them there. We can't just keep them there. We got to give them to God. And you see, it's, very, it's modeled that way in Paul's letters to the Ephesians. It says in 4.25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We are members of one another. Let's not take all of this stuff that we have inside and then put a big, put a big fake smile on it when we come to church and say, oh, everything's fine. But instead, let's surrender it to God. My my next point, being accountable leads to surrender, not entitlement. You see, these old, or, or the, the, the old Israelites that were coming up thinking they can just worship the way they want to worship, and that's it. They felt entitled to the Ark of the Covenant. They felt that just because they were, or they have, they have done some things, in order to be appease God, they felt that they could just go up there and just bam, that's it. But they find out that they go up there and they die. And some of us, we have an entitled notion. I had an entitled, an entitled emotion in me too. And it wasn't until I surrendered everything to God that I understood where that was coming from. And you see, the Philistines, they surrendered their gold. They surrendered their livestock. They even surrendered their livestock from their children. They ca their, their, their capture, they surrendered their capture as well, the Ark of the Covenant. And they witnessed entitlement from the spiritually arrogant. And one thing that makes me think about, one thing that bring, that when I see that, it makes me think of is that the sandbar faith. 
And we cannot have a sandbar faith. And if you don't know what a sandbar is, it's when you look at the ocean and then the further you go, we automatically think it's deep. But then there's this little thing called a sandbar where you can kind of pop up and it looks like you're walking on water almost. So it's looked like you're like Jesus all the way out there, like, you know, 50 yards. And you see, we can't have that sandbar faith that when we look at it and we say, oh man, that ocean's, that ocean's deep, but yet we step up on that sandbar and it's not that deep at all. Some of these Israelites, that's what they had. As a matter of fact, if, we, if we're following along with this, with this series, we know that's exactly what Justin was talking about. They had that shallow faith. And when you have that shallow faith, you're not doing anything but hurting the church. Because there has to be a surrender that has to take place, family. There has to be things that we have to put up to God so that we can be accountable to him. And when I first got out of, first decided to go to seminary, and, and, you know, we had this situation where we had kids during seminary. I mean, I was working a full-time job. I was working part-time as well. And when I graduated, that's kind of where I was. I was spiritually arrogant. Because I graduated and said, you know what? I'm going to have this awesome job. I'm going to have this awesome student ministry. I'm going to have this amazing thing. And this was back in 2013, or no, 2010, when I graduated. And I was like, man, God, you are going to bless me. I know you're going to do this. But two months after I graduated from seminary, I lost my full-time job. I worked at the, picked up a job working at the Y right down the street. Have continuing education degree. And I'm scanning people in at the Y, making $8 an hour. Two kids at the time. I start picking up odd jobs here and there, and I start going on these, on these interviews that, well, basically that whole summer, that whole, that whole next summer and throughout that year, that whole summer, our summer vacations were basically provided by churches that have seen me and, and wanted to interview me and everything like that. And it was at the point to where God was, even, God was saying no or I was saying no for whatever the reason was. And all I was doing was appeasing God by going to each and every one of these interviews because I felt that if I did these things, that it was going to be okay. And it wasn't until I surrendered my search, I surrendered all that to him. And if it wasn't for Adrian, my wife, who's so lovely, don't you agree? Um, <laughs> thank you. She's about to celebrate her, she's about to celebrate a birthday soon, so um, I decided to go ahead and felt like I had to do that. But um, if it wasn't for her telling me, hey, look, you need to let God do his thing. You need to let God do things in your life. You need to surrender. And so there I go, and I surrender, and I say, that's it. That's my search. And so when that happened, I started, my eyes started opening up as I was surrendering all of this pride, as I was surrendering all of this, all of this, this, this entitlement that I had, I was surrendering it to God. Things started happening. 
I was started to open my eyes and I'm looking around and I'm saying, look, I am in a community center, which is basically the YMCA, and I need to start witnessing to these people who are here. I start leading devotionals with some of my some of my staff members who were actually of age, who were actually of student ministry age. And then I get a call later on and I get to meet with our very, our very own campus pastor, Scott. And we start talking about this and we're going through the process. And I visited here and I'm like, I just don't know because God has, throughout that time, God has blessed me with an amazing job and I still work there today. It's at HarperCollins Christian Publishing. Yes, there is another Christian publisher besides Lifeway, just to let y'all know. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and God was continuously showing me what he was doing especially when you consult a church that interviewed you and told you that you didn't have enough experience, but then you wind up consulting them. Isn't that funny? And then throughout this process, I'm just broken. Because as we're going, as shortly after that, Scott and I are going through this interview process, and we're saying, and I'm just like, wow, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening. And then, of course, Adrian, my rock, my biggest, the biggest cheerleader I have, she tells me, do you understand that throughout the time that you lost your job and everything, and everything was happening, that God was setting you up for this community since for the longest time? I've got to meet some of, I've got to meet some people. When I walked in here the very first time, just kind of incognito, kind of checking it out, I saw so many friendly faces that I knew from the Y. Some of my students were actually, were actually a part of that as well. And when I thought about that, I said, man, God got my attention. And as I chose to appease him, I surrendered so I can be accountable to him. So as the band makes their way up, in conclusion, I just want to give you this. When God gets our attention, we can either appease him or we can be accountable to him. We can either show God that we just want to do the bare minimum or we can surrender and be accountable to him. There's no time to be lukewarm. There's just time to be Walking with Christ right here and now. And some of us have some surrenders, some things that we need surrendering. And at this point in time, as the band plays, I want you to surrender that. We need you to surrender that. If you are going to be a part of God's army and you're going to walk in him, you need to surrender things at the altar today. If that means that you come up here and pray, that's fine. If that means that you confess with them, confess by simply just writing it down on an oak card and pinning it on the crosses that's amazing if you feel the need to worship as you've already made a made a covenant with god and you've already said he is the lord of your life and you feel that you need to go and take the lord's supper by all means do that but what are we going to surrender 
And don't make it a false little surrender. Make it a true surrender that we know that God has taken over your life because some of us here, we're not ready to surrender all this. We're not ready to surrender ourselves to a life group. Some of us are not ready to surrender ourselves to an accountability partner. Some of us are not ready to surrender to Christ. Some of us here aren't even, surrender, aren't even ready to surrender to just follow through with believers' baptism. The cool thing about that is that we got seven of our students that are ready to do that next week. Surrender and be held accountable to God. Let's pray. God, as many things are happening within the, within the ministries here at the fellowship, I ask that you be with us today that some of us right now are having a hard time surrendering. But let's make it happen today, God. Through you, we know it can happen. Asking all of this, in Jesus' name we pray.